morning if we haven't met before. I'm Rob Jacobson. I'm so glad you're here today as we look at uncommon actions. So to begin, uh, there's a story that I read that I thought was very powerful and really epitomized uh, what we're talking about today. It starts with a lady named Amy who grew up in a wealthy family in Ireland. Her father owned a flour mill business and she went to the best boarding schools and had many fine things. But one day, Amy's life suddenly changed when her father's business tanked and closed, and in the worry of trying to uh, deal with that situation, her father actually died. So the family could no longer afford nice things. Amy had to drop out of school, not only boarding school, but school. She spent the next 10 years helping her mother take care of her younger brothers and sisters. And it was on one cold, dreary day during those 10 years that her family left church and Amy noticed this beggar woman staggering out of the alley. She was very dirty and her clothes were torn and she had mud-soaked rags that covered her feet. And immediately, Amy felt compassion for this woman. She ran over to her with her brother and helped the woman out of the alley. And as they were carrying her towards the center of the city, she saw some of the people from church passing by, and she was embarrassed to be seen with the woman, and so she kind of hid her face. As they continued to walk uh, with this woman, she saw this, Amy saw this fountain in the center of the city, and she studied it as she was walking with her, and she heard this voice that said, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. All of these will be tested in a fire to see what sort of work is done. And if the foundation survives, then he will receive a reward. Amy turned around but didn't see anybody. And she knew, she knew in her heart that something had happened because she knew that she was kind to the woman, but she also knew in her heart that it wasn't right. When she got home, She opened her Bible, and she searched and searched, and she found the words that she had heard. And she knelt and promised God that in the future, she would only do things that please him. From that moment on, she said she would hold her head high. She would throw off the worry of what others thought. She later wrote in a journal, help me to have a single eye for the glory of God. And that started with Saturday evenings. Amy would travel with her pastor into the poor neighborhoods in town, and she would go to be with the people known as the Shawleys. The Shawleys were people that were so poor they couldn't afford hats in Ireland, and so they would use their shawl to cover up their head from the cold, and they would bring sections of scripture and food to the Shawleys, and the Shawleys loved to hear about God. And Amy's heart grew in intensity for the Shawleys that she actually moved downtown. She lived in bug-infested environments just to be close to the Shawleys. She sensed that God was calling her to go to other countries and tell people about him. And yet she had this problem because she had an illness where she would get sick and be, be in bed for days on end. She didn't know how she could reconcile obeying God and this sickness. And it was, it was a speech, actually, that Hudson Taylor came and spoke, a missionary to China, in 1887 that changed her path. And it was that day that she heard this call from God and she let go of worrying about her health. And she left for England and then finally to India, where she would tell anyone 
who would listen about Jesus and help anyone that she could. And so one day in India, she had this little girl named Prina collecting water by the temp- for, for the temple near where Amy was speaking. She stopped to listen as Amy was telling these women gathered about how there was a God who loved everyone and didn't actually follow a caste system. There weren't different classes of people in God's mind that he would reach out to any and all. Now, Prina knew that if someone had caught her speaking or listening to a stranger, that she would be beaten or punished. And so she ran away, but she tucked those words in her her mind, and she ran back to the temple. Because in India at this time, girls were often unwanted, and so they were given to the temple to serve as temple prostitutes. And this went on for some time until Amy heard this knock on her door one night. And she opened the door, and little Prina ran in, grabbed her by the neck, and says, please don't let them take me. Please, please don't let them send me back. Prina had escaped from the temple that night. When the guards were sleeping, she tiptoed through an unlocked door, pushed open the heavy gate, and ran as fast as she could to this woman who told her that God loved everyone. And now... Amy's was in this huge bind because she and God had had a conversation long before this that said, I will not be getting married. I will not be raising children. I will be serving you, God. I will live every day with a single eye for the glory of God. And yet she knew that if she sent Prina back, she would be beaten or even killed. Yet Amy could be charged with kidnapping and thrown into prison, and yet this girl needed love and protection. And so now she was wondering, is God really asking her to settle down and care for this unwanted child? The most powerful structures in the world throughout history have given way to God's people, who, like Amy Carmichael, heard a call from God and took action. And God moved in their lives simply in response to God and his promises. As we've been looking at this series called Uncommon, we've been in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We've looked at these people that are often called heroes of faith. They're heroes not because they are super powerful people and not even because they have super powerful faith, simply because they heard a call from God, a promise from God, and they took action. They actually took action in ways that kind of make our eyebrows go up, like the tenacity and the boldness that they have. They don't seem to take all the precautionary measures. They don't analyze every piece of data. They certainly don't create every contingency plan. It's like God spoke, and they did, they, they went. And these people have been taking faith by action. Now listen to this segment of Hebrews 11 and see if you can hear the faith through action. Hebrews 11, I'm starting in verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people of her city when she refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
And how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of Samson, or of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and they received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fire of the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death. But others were tortured. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, their backs cut open with whips. Others were chained and imprisoned. Some were died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes and in the ground, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better for each of them and something better in mind for us, so they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud, crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he sits at the place of honor besides God's throne. This is God's word, and it's good. I think true faith is action taken in response to God and his promises. And yet, it's an uncommon faith. I don't think we see this kind of faith very often. I don't think Amy Carmichael's story is one that everyone tells. Or last week when Leanne came up and talked about how she was called to Kenya and went. Or Jacob, an adopted orphan, who now feels called to be an advocate for the orphan. We just don't have everyone standing up and saying, This is how I'm living out my faith. Not a guilt, just a question. So I pondered that for the last few weeks. Why is that? Why is this uncommon? And I think one of the biggest problems is that it's more common to talk about faith rather than be uncommon and take action by faith. I think it's common to talk about faith because oftentimes we think that faith equals a set of beliefs. You know, if I can collect the correct conclusions about God and tell people that I agree with them and then invite them to agree with them, that's faith. Common people say, this is how my faith is formed, by understanding this list of beliefs. And it also informs me of who's in and who's out, who agrees with me and who doesn't. Now, I do believe there are places in the New Testament and and the Old, but the New Testament, that do refer to the faith as a set of beliefs. 
especially the belief that Jesus lived, that he claimed to be God, that he was crucified, rose again, and then he will come again. But more widely, through the scripture, faith is denoted as something more active, something more dynamic and alive. It's a life of action taken in response to God and all that he's promised. Hebrews starts, this this list starts in chapter 11 with saying, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And because of that confidence or that trust or that assurance, all the people that the writer is about to talk about took action. The writer concludes by saying, therefore, faith is like running a race. A race that's set out for us. Because true faith is action. It's running the race that's set before us. And that's what uncommon people do. They take action in their faith. So I think it was Leanne actually last week who asked the question, how would your life look different if you didn't have faith? Meaning if If you believe, and I believe, that God is who he says he is, that he cares for the world, that he cares about every action, every concern, every doubt, every hope, every prayer that I have, how would I live in the face of opposition? How would I live when I'm in my doubts, when I'm comparing myself to other people, when when I'm not sure how it's going to turn out? Would I live differently than someone who didn't believe? That's a hard question. Because sometimes I rely on my own intelligence. Sometimes I spend a little too much time trying to find the right contingency plan. I'm just smart enough to analyze the data and then worry about it. But I'm not smart enough to go, God, you live present with us and yet you're before and above all time. The past, the present, and the future with God are all present. Maybe I should trust him, just simply trust him, that if he's told me why and he's told me what, that I don't need to figure out how. If we look nothing, if if nothing in our life is really different than our neighbor who doesn't believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again and is coming back again, then we are fooling ourselves to say that we have faith. What has God revealed to you? What has he promised? And what are you doing about it? All of these people in this list heard from God some nudge and they acted. It was through that belief They trusted enough to move. That brings us to this, I think, second problem why we don't see this very often. Not only do we see faith as something to talk about rather than something to live, but we see it's more common to keep comparing ourselves to other people or looking at others rather than looking at what slows us or stops us. Now, I get the slows and stops us from 
this idea in Hebrews 12. But let's go back to the Hebrews 11 uh, and look at what each of these people, who they were and what they did. The, the author's listing these so fast that we might not remember each of their stories. But again, for the people that they were writing to, they would know this story. They had memorized this story. They had lived this story. They put this in their hearts and in their lives. So, you know, for, for Rahab, she was the spy in the city of Jericho that, that had heard the stories of these people that had been slaves in Egypt, that had wandered in a desert, and that now were coming into their land. That this God had opened seas, had cast down cities, that had moved people, and they were scared. And she welcomed these spies into her home. I believe that God is doing this for you and, and her family and not only she was saved, but her whole family was saved. They became a part of God's family, and she ends up in the line of Jesus. Gideon was this judge who led an army of soldiers, if you can call them that, really just people, because he led them to this victory, and they carried torches, trumpets, and empty jars. Not sword shields and armor. So, and this army was massive. It was the Midianites. They were massive. Uh, Barak, he was the military leader, served under this judge, Deborah. He led Israel to defeat the Canaanites. Samson freed Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And Jephthah led an army to defeat the Amorites and the Ammonites. Now, the Amorites, Ammonites, Canaanites, Midianites, and Philistines are all people that we probably have no idea who they were, but they were all tribes there were descendants of Cain that had done incredibly wicked things and were occupying the land of promise. And God was saying, we are going to move these people out and we're going to bring these people in. Not to destroy them, actually to show how it means to be blessed by God to bless the rest of the world. And that's what God was doing in that story. Samuel served as the last judge and the first real, I think, major prophet since Moses and with God's vision, he selected God's ruler for the people. And then David lived this life of devotion. He performed these outstanding acts of faith for God. And he was the first king to lead the nation, not only to, well, not just into the promised land, but to dwell in peace in the promised land. Now, I want you to think about the last time you got to be in a place that was not only a place of promise, but a place of peace. See, when I think about a place of promise, I think it's got a hope and it's got a future. It's something that, it, it's, it's not just, it doesn't just make you smile because it's good on the surface. It makes you smile because it permeates your entire being, this hope and this promise in the future. But if the present feels conflictual, if the present feels like there's someone that's going to take something or an adversary or a conflict, then I don't have peace. So to dwell in the land of promise with peace means that my present and my future are in harmony with God and each other. That is a beautiful thing. And when we have a faith that leads to action, that's what can happen. But it's really common for people to compare with this list and say, there's no way I could do that. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. You don't know what I've done. 
Well, let's go back through the list just for a moment because all of these people could say, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not holy enough. For example, Rahab has this vocation where she sells her body to make money. And somehow that vocation stays with her even after she trusts God and joins this family of God's people. Gideon is this leader who has trouble seeing himself as God sees him. God comes to him and says, you're a mighty warrior. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm the weakest in my family. And then needs reassurance after reassurance after reassurance. Tell me how it's going to turn out. I want to make sure that it's, is it going to be really as you say? Barak is this military leader who's afraid to go into battle unless the judge, the leader at the time, will go with him. The only problem is, no offense, uh, ladies, Deborah is a woman. And there are no woman generals at that time besides her. So in a very patriarchal society, this guy is saying, I can't do it unless you do it. You can go, you can go read it. I put, the, you know, I put, put it all up there for you to make sure I'm telling the truth. Samson, some of you know this story. I don't know why we tell this story in kids' ministry because it's such a horrid story. Uh, this guy is strong and selfish and impetuous. He's clearly dedicated to God at an early age to be someone that is for and with God. And he can never fully live into that. He never fully accepts what it means to be dedicated to God. He chases foreign women like the nation of Israel chases foreign gods. Maybe that's why he's included in the story. And Jephthah is this leader who did you know, win this victory, but made this horrific, foolish vow. God, if you give me victory, I will sacrifice whoever comes out of my house and his only daughter walks out of his house. And he, and he does. Like, idiot. Sorry, that's not part of uh, David is, he, David actually may have been smart enough and strong enough. I mean, not only is he a, a brilliant warrior, a military commander, he writes psalms and creates music. Uh, I would love to be as talented as David, except uh, he commits a grievous sin taking someone else's wife, even though he has a wife, and then executing her husband to try and cover it up. And Samuel, although we're not told explicitly uh, how he may have struggled, uh, it seems to come through in the text that he struggles with, will I listen to God and be okay with what he says, or will I please the people and listen to what they say? My point is that common people compare. I know, brilliant, right? Super smart. But here's the deal. When you compare what you know about yourself with what you don't know about someone else, you will always come up short. You want a recipe for living a life of defeat and depression? Compare what you know about yourself with what you don't know about someone else. You will always, always come up short. Uncommon people Look at what slows and stops them. Each of these people, I believe, are listed not because they're perfect. Every one of them has flaws and faults, but they each had to face their flaw and their fault and their sin. They come and bring their mess-ups and screw-ups and sin before God and still act in faith because it's not about how perfect they are. It's about how powerful God is. It's what God can do through these people that are flawed. So if you're saying there's no way God could ever use me, 
I have too many flaws. Well, join the club. They're the only kinds of people God uses. And if you've been told a story your whole life that is not true about how you are not enough or about what this person did or what that person said, you do not have to live that story anymore. Each of these people responded to what God said. And in doing so, in taking that action, they joined another story. Rahab became part of God's family and in the line of Jesus. Gideon left this family that, where he considered himself the weakest and became strong for God, for God's glory, not his own. And I could go right down the list, but if you are in this place where you just think, there's no way, there's no way, you have to think again. Uncommon people face their flaws and they face their fears and they throw them off. It's a life of action. It's running the race set out for us, but we do it by letting go of the things that slow us and stop us. Have you talked to God lately about what slows and stops you? Maybe it's a fear of who God made you to be. You know that God put good things in you, and he might even be calling those out of you, but you are desperately concerned that it's not enough. Maybe you're someone who has a fear of taking responsibility because then it will be your fault, and you were told all your life that it was your fault. But there's actually something holy about taking responsibility, even if you come up short. Or maybe you have a fear of being liked or not being liked. And you want to be approved, but God's approval is what rings through this story. Or maybe you worry about how things are going to turn out, so much so that it paralyzes you in the moment. Or you don't want to face those things, so you just waste a whole lot of time online. If I never have to slow my mind, if I can keep entertaining myself, if I can keep watching, keep posting, keep looking, then, then, I, then I get comfort, I get escape. I don't have to sit and think about the uncomfortableness of what I might need to throw off or let go of. Whatever is hindering you, whatever is hindering you. God invites us to let go of it. Life is faith in action. True life, true faith is life in action. Responding to God and his promises by letting go of what slows us and stops us by looking at Jesus. Because it's not about comparing with our other people. It's about looking at Christ. I mean, this is what Jesus Christ did. He took action in his life. He boldly lived faithfully with God. He trusted God as a human like us. He never wandered from God. That's not to say he wasn't tempted. That's not to say he didn't doubt. He faced all the things that we faced. He just didn't sin in them. And he actually gives us a picture of what it's like to be truly human. Of all the beings in the world that could knock being human. Jesus actually lifts up what it means to be human, to be created in the image of God, 
to be his workmanship for good works, to bless others, to lift up the ones that are downtrodden, to bring hope to the world. This is who he is. This is our example and our hope and our savior because he endured the cross, he suffered the pain and humiliation of it, and he's the one who brings us back with God. He's the one that we look for, and he's the one we look to. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to this life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Amy Carmichael's greatest desire in prayer was to simply keep her eyes on the glory of God. Amy spent more than 50 years in India. Saying yes to Prina was the start of an orphanage that she then founded and then took on a mission, rescuing hundreds of young women from the temple prostitution and later started this boys' home mission supporting the children that were born from those temple prostitutes. And her legacy continues in the city that she spent the most time, uh, Dunavur. Did I say that right? You know, Reggie, if I said that right? Okay, well, anyway. It still lives on, this is from the 1800s, serving more than 500 children in the area now. In the last two weeks, we've heard stories from Jacob advocating for the orphan, from Leanne creating spaces for girls that could never share their story to share trauma and receive healing. Uh, two weeks ago, we just had John and Daniel Steiner respond to this call to go down to Texas and do hurricane relief. People living out their faith through action because that people can't see a set of beliefs very easily, but they can see someone walking across the street and helping their neighbor. They can see someone going down the cube and praying for their coworker. They can see when you bring hope to other people. This is what it means to take action. And we just saw in the news a couple weeks ago in Sugar, uh, Sugar Land Springs, Texas, that the words church and massacre do not belong together. And this can cause us to have fear. This can cause us to want to lock the doors, but the God that we serve goes into the places where there's blood and massacre. He goes into the places where people wrap their feet in mud rags. He goes to those places and he brings light into the darkness. He brings hope where there is none. This is the God that we love and he calls us to do the same and it will take courage. But take heart. God has overcome the world. So would you just sit for a moment and see what God might be calling you to throw off and let go of, what he might be saying to you to take up and the race that he sets before you. There will be tension, but we face it with faith. Lord, as the band comes up, as we... Consider what it means to respond. Uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the picture of these examples of people that were not perfect, that each had flaws and faults, uh, God, but they faced them. 
They gave their weakness to you and you turned it to strength. And though each of them had a different result with their life, some not always the reward they wanted on earth, you rewarded each of them because of their faith. Show us what we need to let go of. Show us where we're comparing. Show us where we're stuck, not acting. We trust you, Jesus. We want our life to be lived for you and with you in things that really matter. Make us a people who take action.